Hello, everyone out there. This is Jesse. This is After the Gig. Um, coming at you a little bit late this week because it's the first week of the, uh, or the first day of the Hindsight 2019 Carbon Leaf Tour. So we are, or I am, in the green room at the City Winery in Nashville right now <clears throat> recording this intro. Um, yeah, we're here. We made it. We have a big setup on stage. There's a lot of special stuff that we don't normally have out on the road. Uh, extra lights, extra set pieces, stuff like that. So things are taking a little longer to figure out, but um, I think we got it all set up and all squared away. But um, I am going to be short with you on this intro. I'm sure you're like, Jesse, thank God these intros are too goddamn long. And um, I'm I'm giving I'm giving you one I'm giving you one today. So uh, I need to get back down and get ready for sound check. I will be interviewing um, the lovely Liz Longley uh, in a minute. She's opening for us today, so she's gonna do her sound check, and then uh, and then uh, we're gonna talk, have a little convo, and um, yeah, and they'll be out in you know, a couple weeks, maybe next week. I'm not sure. Depends on how long it takes for me to put it all together. But, um, today on the podcast is my wonderful friend, Adam Day. Adam Day is a fantastic musician. He is, um, he's just a talented media guy. He just kind of has a great vision and a great ear and, um, He's been a friend of, of Dan Mills's for a long time, a friend of mine for a while. Um, but Adam was always one of those guys that um, he just had such a beautiful voice and was always like kind of intimidating to be around because he was just so talented. So, so talented. Um, and I'm looking forward to you having uh, hearing this conversation with me and Adam Day. So, um, just a couple quick things. Let me get this up on my computer really quick. Tonight we're in Nashville, in a couple hours actually. Uh, tomorrow night, St. Louis, Woodlands, Texas on the 26th, Dallas 27th, Austin on the 28th. That's the rest of the shows this week. Um, so please enjoy this conversation with the wonderful Adam Day. Do you know that I edit like a ton of podcasts? I didn't know that. Um, and so I, one thing that I realized that I do, I don't know if you'll need to take it out or not, that I've recognized it recently because uh, I was like a guest on a couple or anytime I listen to myself recording a call, what I realized I do that I don't do anywhere else is I do these like, yeah, like in mm -hmm. between my speech. It's an interesting thing. And I'm like. You know, mm -hmm. it's interesting to know what your ticks are, you know? Yeah, because you have all these little things that are just part of your thought process. Like, your normal... It's your rhythm, yeah. Yeah. And for me, I say, you know, a lot. And I, I, I heard you say that on the on one of the episodes I listened to. Stephen Kellogg. I think, uh, I think I remember... I think I remember saying that during that and and I'll, like, pause. I have, like, weird pauses in my speech. I'll say something right. and then... And I'll continue like that, you know, yeah. so that happens all the time. And then, um, I don't know. Some people are just more 
comfortable speaking than others. But what like what podcast are you editing? Is this is this part of your your job in media right now? It's part of the this one. Yeah, I guess I'll do the same. So it doesn't happen so much here because the interfaces over there but whenever i use because like, i have a fucking jammer <laughs> you're like i fucking put a mesh i fucking put a faraday cage in here <laughs> whenever <laughs> <laughs> you're not making any emergency calls out yeah. of this bitch no one will hear you <laughs> but when um when i use the portable thing it you know if someone doesn't or usually it's me if i don't put my phone on airplane mode you'll get the like the buzzing and yeah all that stuff. yeah crappy but so tell me about tell me about this uh, aspect of your job. Oh well, it's part of like the gajillion things that I've been wrapped up in in the last couple of years. Is just and it just started as one uh, one podcast, but a friend, or uh, actually my cousin, my cousin was on this woman's mailing list. This this woman is kind of this just like a internet person from like before the age of influencers she's kind of mm-hmm. like this internet personality who's like a blogger <clears throat> okay. and like a writer and she has done like a number of things i don't even know about pre-podcast i know really nothing not much about her career other than what she's talked about on the podcast but it sounded like she was like into running like she did a run she did just kind of like this self-helpy truth-telling honesty living out in the open kind of lifestyle Mm. uh, and blogging about it and saying like this is what my life is like yeah and she she burned down her blog she like deleted the entire blog this whole thing this whole history of things and she said i want to make a podcast instead and she she, took down all of like the old stuff she had put put everything she ever wrote just gone i don't know if it's i don't know if it's really gone but she described it. it to me is it's burnt to the ground wow. it's disappeared except for like i think maybe some of like the most popular stuff okay. i mean that's fucking bold that's, that's really bold <laughs> it's like ima- like imagining just all the notebooks you've ever written of you know lyrics or whatever yeah just, saying, just being like fuck, fuck it. it done it yeah <laughs> what's done it past yeah. is past throw it like, in the yeah. fire <laughs> so uh she writes and she's like okay i'm gonna do this podcast and she's like well you know She's thinking about, okay, I got to have music. I got to have this, that, and the other thing. And instead of going out and buying music, she reaches out to her mailing list and she's like, hey, does anybody in my community write music? Know somebody that writes music? I want like original music for my podcast. Mm -hmm. My cousin sees this email. She contacts me. Hey, would you be interested? I'm like, yeah, sure. Not thinking this woman would ever reach out to me. Right. You know, and then I get a call from this person or an email I say, sure, I'll make some music for your podcast. Like, what do you what do you like? And listen to some stuff, made some compositions, send them to her. And she's like, you know, this is awesome. I really like it. Do you have any tips? Like, I don't really know what I'm doing. And I was like, well, how about this? I'll just do your first couple episodes for you. That way you don't have to think about it. You can kind of right. get on your feet once you figure it out. And that was like, gosh, that was, I, that, that was probably five years ago or wow. more. Did she pick a format or something and say like, here's kind of how I want it. Or did you take the, you know, I guess the, the information and just kind of mold it into what you wanted or mold it into something that you felt yeah, was cohesive? She had said, um, there's this really great podcast called the rich roll podcast. Rich roll is this guy who, I don't know if he was on the New York times bestseller list, but he wrote a book called finding ultra, which is about his sort of evolution or his transformation from being kind of like, uh, he calls himself like a 
I can't remember what he's it's like a happy to die drunk or something. He was like, he felt like he was overweight. He was drinking a lot mm-hmm. and he kind of hit a rock bottom for himself, whatever that was. And that's he, an interesting term. I've never heard that happy to die drunk. That's an interesting it's term. It's not, that's I'm fucking it up. That's not the, no, but it sounds like it, it it's something close to it. that. Yeah. Because if you think about that, that's dark. Yeah. That's really dark. <laughs> and that's Man. how he describes it. Exactly. Yeah. It is. And, uh, but he kind of like, uh, he started running mm-hmm. and started going after these long distance things and an ultra marathon. I think tech, I can't remember what the technical thing is. I wonder if it starts at 50 miles, but like, like an it, Ironman or, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, It's a super endurance thing. So a lot of ultras are like in the 50 mile range or like a hundred mile. And they're like, there are some famous ultra marathons anyway. So he, and yes, triathlon, like he, he, I don't think he ever did anything triathlon. I don't think he ever participated in one, um, but he has a lot of friends in that community. So anyway, so she was like, I really wanted to be like the rich roll podcast. So I started, I'd never heard of that. I started, I'd never really listened to any podcast before she did. She brought it up to me. And uh, so I listened to that and then we kind of went after that format. That was the kind of format she wanted. His format is kind of like super long form, two hour long interviews, free flowing conversations. Right. And uh, that's what she does. And she still does it today. She's, she's great. And, but anyway, from How that, much editing is, is required in that kind of thing. Do you let it roll? Like, are you going through yeah. the entire two hours and, you know, moving things around or. Yeah. I don't, unless, unless somebody asks me to, I'm, I just, I take out most of the distracting stuff. Like yeah. you're the ums, you know, if a phone rings, somebody has to get up to go to the bathroom, okay. whatever, yeah, take yeah, a break. Yeah. I take that stuff out. But most of the time, I'm not, I'm never really story editing unless okay. they're like, hey, we touched on this topic. The person reached out to me and their book actually isn't released until, you know, okay. six months from now. So they don't want to be talking about it yet. Can you take out this chunk or yeah, something like that? Yeah, or if it takes a minute to get into a flow or something, you might right. take out a bunch of the beginning. It, exactly. Or yeah. Um, that's interesting. But anyway, you asked if that's so. Yeah, now that has grown. I think I do. I think I do something like five or six podcasts now. Are these all and based? Um, where are they based out of? D- did you? They're all different. Wow. Um, they're all based out of different places. So Nicole's the first one. She was living in Bend, Oregon at the time. Now she's living like it's been. It, what's beautiful about this doing a podcast? Maybe you feel the same way. Is mm-hmm. that? Um, you see people evolve. Right. I mean, you're the host, so yeah. I, don't, I don't know if you're seeing people evolve, but you kind of do because I, I'll go back. You know, most of my guests are my friends, so they'll talk about something or, or talk about uh, a certain moment in their life, and then you know, I'm, I'm catching up with these people all the time, so I can see how far they've gone or. If we talk about some kind of goal that they had, see, you know, I've seen people achieve their these goals and move on to whatever's next. So you you kind of get this this full picture. This this it's just a moment of their of their life. I really, know it's a really cool. It's interesting. I, it's so <clears throat> super cool. Yeah. And so yeah, and, and yeah, what the beautiful thing is just seeing her evolve. When we started, she was kind of into like her podcast. The conversations were sort of in a certain category of conversation the subjects that she touched on those things have changed she was married since then she got really into and really inspired by long distance hiking so she started going on these really long ass hikes 
And one of the, and sort of like I, what I would call sort of like her pivotal hike or what everything built towards was she did this, um, there's a trail, a national scenic trail, kind of like the uh, Appalachian trail or Pacific crest trail. Mm -hmm. There's one in Arizona called the Arizona trail. And it goes from uh, the Grand Canyon to the Mexico border. Okay. uh, North to south or south to north uh, on the uh, Arizona. Across 800 miles. It's crazy. (laughs) She did it by herself. Oh my God. That sounds like my worst nightmare. That's yeah. a that's a guy with Crohn's disease worst nightmare. Yeah, I went, I did like I did I went I flew out and met her for the first time. We'd been working for years together and I did 30 miles together and do you, it do you hike? Me. Do you hike? I mean, are you into it? I I would like to be. I'm not okay. like a hiker normally, yeah. I would say, but I enjoy it. I love it. Yeah. And uh I just never seem to find the time, but I okay. I loved doing that stretch. You know, that was that 30, was inspiring. 30 miles. She did 800. We were just walking. What and do you I'm, do? You just you're just walking, and then you say, oh, "I'm tired. I'm taking point A to point B." It's just, jeez, man. It fucking feels cool to like travel that distance on foot. You yeah. know, yeah. Where you just like stand, you're standing, you're like seeing this fucking horizon, no cities, no nothing, no yeah. human beings, and you're just like, there's this hills in the distance, and then like eight hours, ten hours later, yeah, next day. You're in those fucking hills. You yeah. walk there. It's insane. It's crazy. You know when you when you're putting in directions into your phone and like Google Maps or something, and then you know it has the little like hiker guy next to it. And you yeah, hit that to saying, see how long how, it, how long it'll take. <laughs> yeah. That's as far as I'll go. Okay. Yeah. There, <laughs> I just want to see. I just want to see how I just long. Wanna, I just want to get I'm this information long. gathering here. <laughs> <laughs> That's how long it'll take. Or you know, I, I just I, I I never got I never got into it. I, I would like to be into it but man that is just such on such another it's a commitment it's on yeah. such another level like the guy you're talking about that was trying to build up to running these ultra marathons and the iron man's or iron men uh races or whatever that reminds me of david goggins you know david yeah. goggins yeah the seal the, the seal. seal yeah i read his book um it's up there somewhere living with the seal with uh jesse it it's her uh yeah yeah you know i found out about that because jesse was on the rich roll podcast okay and now david goggins has also been on there yeah so that yeah. guy is, is a he's beast. a badass he started as uh, do you know his story at all not really he started off like he was 300 pounds he was like a big guy and he decided one day he's like i'm gonna become a seal and and he had to lose a hundred pounds in like three months to take this test and he did it Lost a hundred pounds in three months after being like a big guy that's dr- you know, drinking, you know, milkshakes every night after yeah. work. Yeah, and, you know, the whatever job. Yeah, he just <laughs> decided one day this is what I'm doing, and his his whole thing is to like embrace the suck every day, just like do something that sucks every day. I recently started following on mm-hmm. Instagram, and yeah, mm-hmm. his whole stay hard mm-hmm. and like yeah, he went through he went through it buds training three times. Three times going through Hell Week. I mean, I've never done it, but it sounds pretty hard. That's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So what else you got going on? So, yeah, actually, you're... you're, um, When we... The last time that, like, we, like, worked together, quote, unquote... Yeah. You were doing some video stuff. Are you still doing video stuff for Avid or... Yeah. Anything like that? Like, what is your main gig right now? Well, actually, my main... Well, so, up until three months ago 
or two months ago, my main gig was, it was as a creative director at a, at a ad agency that pretty much worked with music brands, pro audio brands. Yep. So yeah, we worked with Avid, Yamaha, we worked with JBL, AKG, Martin Lighting, Studer, Soundcraft, uh, Mixing Consoles. There was all Harmon brands. Okay. Um, Seymour Duncan, the mm-hmm. pickup brand. So it was all uh, blue microphones. Yeah. Uh, we worked with all those, with all pro audio brands. And through that was a lot of creative writing, uh, photography. So getting out and uh, doing lifestyle photography, sometimes doing the photography myself, sometimes executing on it or coming up with a vision for it and producing a shoot. Mm-hmm. And then same thing with video, like either just strictly producing a shoot or go- taking something from, uh, you know, idea all the way through to execution and putting it in, you know, making a comprehensive campaign, pushing it out in whatever the effort was, whether it was a product launch or just a branding initiative or something like mm-hmm. that. So I was doing the creative director thing. I was doing the podcast stuff and that was, that was a pretty full creative plate. And, um, that is kind of more or less looking for a change, looking to switch it up. And my girlfriend's moving to New York city. And, um, at the same time, Dan, Dan Mills, mm-hmm. uh, it basically he's also in a creative director role here in Boston. And he said, Hey, I really want you to come work with me on some, uh, like they're almost like TV show style stuff. Have you, have you seen any of this stuff? I know the, the one ten one hundred. Yeah. And um, so, and I, I, uh, I actually haven't had it. I'm a bad friend. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. Yeah. You um, should get in there. They're fun. They're really fun. So I'm helping in the yeah. new project, which is, uh, well, eventually I think it'll be, uh, a number of series, but the first series we're working on is called Brandwagon, and it is basically like a late night talk show format, kind of like a Jimmy Fallon, a okay. Conan style yeah. vibe. Um, but and but the primary focus of the show is marketing and brand building, and mm-hmm. um, so I'm just doing everything from producer type responsibilities to writing to directing. It's like an all hands on deck. Everybody's doing a little bit of everything to kind of shoot write, shoot, and produce and push out the door a, a, a weekly serial thing. Wow. Um, TV show, basically. It's been really fun, really yeah. demanding. And, and I've been doing that. Uh, that's been mostly what I've been doing over the summer. I left the um, the other creative director gig, and this is what I'm doing for right now. It's great. Okay. So you're not, you're not doing the other thing anymore? No. Wow. I left. I quit in June. Every time I, I told you, this is the first job I, well, I guess I've been in that job for three years. So I've been three years since I quit a job. Everyone's always very, very excited for you when you quit a job. I tell, tell people, well, because I just quit my job. People you, are like, fuck yeah, man. You want to know why? Yeah. Because everyone's so scared to do it. Everyone, I was scared to do it. Yeah. Everyone's scared. Everyone wants to quit their job. It's the dream. <laughs> it's, it's the dream yeah. to quit your job. And and when someone does it, you're like, oh, my oh, God, this yeah. person just jumped <laughs> off the friggin' ledge. Yeah. And, you know, I it's it takes a lot of guts to quit a job. It takes it takes. Uh, it does. Why is it? it? It's it's I mean, I know why scary. it is, but it is. It's scary. You're you're you have something stable going on. Yeah. Out there is the unknown moving to moving from New York to Austin. When I first moved down there, that was a and quitting the job that I had then. Mm-hmm. That was another like, big, scary moment because you're. 
you're t- you're really leaping into unknown and yeah. that can be tough i think you know oh yeah because well that change that feeling when you have change and and we're going through it now with our move to providence but that feeling and that fear and that like feeling you get in your gut is really scary but it's like whenever you get that feeling you kind of have to teach yourself that that's good that's and that i completely agree yeah i feel like that's when you know something is right and in fact i remember last fall i was sort of thinking about quitting um or just kind of feeling complacent Mm -hmm. and feeling like the jobs that i was doing the creative work i was doing wasn't challenging me anymore it wasn't making me feel scared yeah and i remember thinking about when we did that video in boston I was so scared. It was my first like big video that I was doing. I had thought up the idea. I convinced everyone that we should do this. And I felt like I had a ton riding on it. And I didn't have a lot of experience to d- pull it off. And I was really scared. Well, it's, and, fight or, it's fight or flight, you know, like you're going to figure it out. You're scared. And, yeah. and that fear propels you to do a good job. And that's how you grow. Just that fear, yeah. the pain, the effort, the excitement. I mean, that fuels growth. That is like fucking rocket fuel yes. in your tank to push you into that next phase. Yep. And in the fall, I was feeling like, you know, I don't really, it, shit was like, that's not, that ain't no thing. You know, it was like, yeah. we get this, a shoot would come up and be like, all right, another thing. We got to do this. Yeah. You know, hire the crew, do this. I'll get there. I didn't care. I wasn't like giving you plateaued. it my all. You get, you yeah. get complacent. And for a creative mind, you need to have that challenge. You need that feeling of that, that fear again, you know, totally, the, totally the, to work through it. Interesting. So could you not, were you, did you have to be in Austin for this other job? Were they based in Austin? I moved to Austin in the first place to work uh, for this technology company, basically doing uh, marketing and kind of helping them sell hard drives, basically. Okay. And that was in Austin and they required that I move there. And then uh, I got tired of that job and, uh, and it just, it wasn't working out or just, you know, it wasn't fulfilling. It wasn't scratching like the creative needs that I had. Mm-hmm. And, um, that shouldn't have happened. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> we were just talking about that. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I'm sorry. It's my landlord. Anyway, landlord's calling. Oh, lots um, of, lots of texts from the landlord lately. Anyway. Yeah. So, um, oh, so that required me to move to Austin. I quit that job. And then, uh, I looked on Craigslist because I was just looking for creative stuff to do a photo gig, creative writing could have been anything. I was just looking for like creative work and saw this ad in there that was like, Hey, we're looking for somebody who like understands marketing. They know technology. They're a musician. They Mm -hmm. understand pro audio gear. And I was in this like cushy job. That's me. And I just wrote, I would never write like a bold email like this. I just wrote the email and I said, Hey, I'm perfect for this. You guys sound like you're doing some really fun stuff. I'd love to have a conversation. Yeah. And, uh, and that was remote. So that guy lived in Cal lived in San Luis Obispo area, California. Mm -hmm. And he's, he had the whole agency is sort of a virtual agency. Okay. We had guys in Nashville, Fort Collins, Colorado, Austin, you know, LA basically San Diego. So yeah, I didn't need to be there in, in Austin then, but then I had kind of met my girlfriend 
and she was in school there and so just stuck around hanging out while she was doing that's that that's how it happens yeah. man i know it <laughs> and they just stick around you guys you got to stick around for the girl i know or for the guy or i know you know well jen jen moved from northern ireland and she could have went anywhere but stuck around for me so um that's that's interesting man those those jobs you can just kind of you know if you're talented you can weave your way in and out and you can always find something i feel like i feel like someone or some company is always looking for a way to reinvent themselves or try to get younger and and find some more interesting things to do totally i know um the the brand sure microphones is going through a little bit of that right now some growing pains just they are yeah I how feel, do you know this i almost feel like you're the you're the guy i'm the guy to go I almost, and i think that the guy that i know is gonna <laughs> listen to this <laughs> so uh but that's okay but no i mean companies do that they go through that so what would a company say to you if they were like we can't figure this out we need we need a plan you know i think every company is different you know and every company is they're sort of in different stages of their own evolution they have different desires and things they want uh, they different outcomes that they're hoping for for mm-hmm. a particular thing again whether it's uh improving the perception of the brand whether it's they have you know SM58, for example, the king of fucking live microphones. Yep. Well, there are plenty of other brands out there making, you know, AKG D5, I think is what it's called, maybe. Uh, yeah, Sennheiser. Sennheiser. It's like they're, you know, scraping to try and take market share away from SM58. Right. So that's, that could be something. Or they're just launching a new product into a new space. They want to, they want to make it a, you know, a home run. Yeah. And so, you know, you asked, you know, would people say, hey, we need to figure this out? I liked when that is the prompt. When it says, hey, we've got a problem. We want to, we want to figure that we want to, we need a creative solution to this problem. Mm. That's an awesome brief. Yeah. Because they're coming to you saying, we don't know. We're open. We're open. Yeah. And that's when you get to dream a little bigger. That's when you get to push them a little harder. And then, you know, but the reality is some people, they, some people, they have marketing teams and their internal people, they are also dreaming about the creative things that they can do. And they, right. they feel stifled maybe by the institutions, the bureaucracy, the politics of their internal, right. but they see maybe the relationship with the agency as a way to get their own expressions out. Right. And so they come to the table with a lot of stuff. Hey, we have this initiative. We want to do this thing. Here's how we think we're going to do it. Here's the script. Here's this. Can you just execute on our vision? Yeah. So, you know, it's different every time. I love it, like you said, when somebody when comes open. with a problem. Yeah. Do you feel like when when there's guys in the company that have all these ideas, are you able to kind of guide them a certain way? Or or sometimes are they hard-nosed? They're like, we want this. If you don't deliver this, then you're out of here. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, what you were saying is, when you're a creative, when you have proficiency in a lot of different areas, like maybe you can compose, maybe you can, maybe you understand how to run a video set, uh, a film set, or maybe you can take f- pictures. You could do any combination of, you could write. Yeah. Um, you have a little bit of versatility, but I also think if you're just a person that loves humans, you love people, or you're just a friendly person and enjoy to be around others, you like to interact with people, that's another piece that goes along with that that allows you to kind of slip into these different avenues. So when you ask me that, I, th- I think kind of 
it really depends on the person. Right. And, uh, and sometimes that could be really collaborative and some really fun stuff comes out of that. Yeah. More often than not, I felt a little, I felt like creatively stifled. I felt a little more stressed in those because right. it's like someone else's vision, but you're trying to execute and make what make their vision come to life. Sometimes mm-hmm. those things are a little bit cloudy. Sometimes they can't express it themselves very well, but they, it's kind of like they know it when they see it kind of vibe. Right. And you feel like you're kind of like shooting in the dark a little bit. Right. And you're a little bit of an outsider and you're trying, you're trying to, you probably feel get, the same way sitting down behind the kit, you know, Absolutely. like with, yeah. with a new artist. And like, that happens all the time because if, if there is a singer or a songwriter that doesn't necessarily know, the language of music very well and they can't they can't vocalize exactly what they want and it's like i don't know something's just wrong you know you have to be able to adapt to them and figure it out yeah both of those things are such crazy skills like being able to communicate to a creative team Mm -hmm. whether it's a musician being able to speak the language and communicate what you what you want to see happen is so important but also being able to listen and decipher those things is right. just an equally important skill. Right. You know? Are you, uh, did you like learn all this in Ithaca? How, how did you get into that, that thing? It's very, you went to Ithaca college, right? Yeah. I went to Ithaca. Did you, were you in the same major as Dan? No, similar style. I think Dan was like an audio production major in the communication school. Yeah. I was a music student and music student. I was in the, I have a bachelor's in music with a focus in music recording or something like that. Okay. So similar like recording arts. We were in some of the same classes. Yeah. But his track was like a communications track. My track was like when I wasn't doing that, I was taking music theory, sight yeah. singing. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. So we're uh your job now, did these just start off as like hobbies? Like photography. Pretty much. And- well it's yeah, it's all been like super organic, you know, and I feel like in a way like the most recently, like I'm constantly kind of like stepping back and trying to like assess, you know, what am I doing, you know, in my life? How am I living my life? Mm-hmm. And recently, and maybe this has just been true all along in some way, but I was fighting it. But recently I've been really thinking a lot about being super with like the flow of just your surroundings. So kind like going with it. Yeah. If I have a desire of some kind, I want to try something. I'm going to go in that direction. I'm going to make an effort towards it. And whatever happens along the way, if I get pushed away from it, if I get pulled towards it, then I just go, I just run with it. it. Yeah. And I feel like that's what's happened. It's kind of led to this, you know, sometimes painful. Sometimes the life has sucked just like anybody. And then, but now I have this life that has a lot of creative stuff. I get to work on lots of cool projects with fun people. And so I didn't learn it at school. I was a broke musician living in New York city working at the Apple store and so you're a genius, right? Yeah. At some point I was a genius. I was all this. I was a salesperson. I was a manager. Exactly. And, uh, (laughs) (laughs) so yeah, I was like the Mac store guy. Oh gosh. And I mean, I remember I would, I would be talking to Dan all the time and you know, we're, we're just hanging out and you were, you know, you were always like the, the Adam, like, I didn't ever really knew you that well. I knew you were a great singer and a great songwriter and stuff. And, and, and then you were like the Mac guru. Well, I love this connection through Dan too. Cause I remember hearing about you from Dan. He's like, there's this drummer, there's this guy, there's this guy. 
He's like, I want this guy to play drums for me so bad. He's like, check out this Battle of the Bands video. And he oh like shows God. me this like, I feel like a high school Battle Probably of the some Bands really video. really embarrassing yeah, video. It's no, like, it was, Dan, this isn't that good. I was like, this guy is really overplaying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that I was like, sounds exactly. <laughs> that was me. Yeah. Um, but anyway, no. so I was just, it was out of necessity. I was broke. I was working in the Apple store, retail. I wasn't making enough money, but I had this sort of technology background. I ended up working as like a personal assistant to some wealthy dude mm-hmm. as his like is his personal Mac genius and other shit around. Wow. Yeah. And then through that, I was eating lunch every day nearby with a friend who was working at this hard drive company, Glyph. You know Glyph? I don't think so. They like make fancy hard drives. And a lot of times they're marketed to like recording studios, musicians, mm. uh, people in video. There's kind of like, like the, fancy the hard silver drives. square one. Like they're yeah. kind of big. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, you might've seen them around. I've, I've, I've definitely seen them in studios. Yeah. And so he was working for glyph. He's like, man, you got to come work for glyph, come work with me. And then he and I were sort of this two man crew there. And that's when I really started getting into like, you know, I think working at Apple, they're so good at marketing. They're so good at advertising. They're so, so good at messaging. Just being a, in that environment all the time primed me. And also, yeah. like, as an artist, as a musician, you're constantly having to hustle. You're constantly having to tell your own story. Yep. So I think I was a lot, of, a lot of ways primed. And I had this technology background. So when I got to Glyph, it was kind of like this hybrid trying to do sales, but also like, let's name this product line. Let's write the copy on the box. Yeah. Does this design box copy look cool? Let's work with the Asian manufacturer to like put together some new accessory product and how can we design that? And all that kind of built up to when I went to work at another company, OWC is the one I went to Austin for. They're oh, a hard drive company. I didn't realize you worked at OWC. Yeah, mm. exactly. So OWC... That's what's in this guy. Yeah, you got like a little SSD in there. A yeah. Little, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I Last year, this computer is like a, it's like a 2012. It's it's ready. It was ready to go. And it was getting so slow. And I was like, all right. Breathe some new life into that bad boy. I, I maxed out the RAM and, and put a terabyte solid state hard drive in it and it's it just cruises yeah sometimes it's it'll still act weird that's but. good that's an old computer yeah that's really that's old. fucking old right there that's and good it, and it's doing great as as it just completely <laughs> shuts it down. fucking burst into flames <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh yeah oh wow uh <laughs> yeah so anyway larry o'connor who run who's like owc larry he's he started the business when he was like a teenager i guess he like somehow got in communication with uh, my buddy Josh, who played piano in my band forever ago, mm-hmm. but um, he they got in touch with each other, and he was like, "I want you to come work at OWC." And Josh was like, "Well, I think you ought to also bring my buddy Adam. He works with me at Glyph. We both ended up going, and that's how we both ended up in Austin. That's and, awesome. Yeah, we just Tarantinoed that. We like <laughs> we just got the yeah. we got the ending first. We're going we're, from the end. And we're working. We're our working. Way back. We're working our way back. Um. So now you're going to be back in, in New York city. Are you, are you, uh, what's, what's the music thing like right now? Are you, are you working on it? Are you playing? What's happening? I got not, it's, I got, I haven't been I doing nothing. much. I got nothing. I, I feel like stuff's starting to simmer though. Yeah. So, you know, when, when I moved to Austin, I kind of thought I was at this really interesting crossroads with music. I didn't know I was at a crossroads. I had gone, I'd played South by Southwest that year. Mm-hmm. That was 2014 i think and uh and 
when I went to Austin to play South by, I had no idea that I would be living there four mm-hmm. months later. And cause I was still just working my day job and like all laser focused on music. Yeah. Doing the thing, writing, booking shows, playing, making sure I'm playing in New York a certain amount of times, uh, you know, a quarter, et cetera. Yeah. And, um, but I came out of South by feeling like I'm sure a lot of independent artists do a lot of singer songwriters do being like, how the fuck do I make money at this? I'm like working so hard. People are really encouraging of me telling me I'm good at this. I should continue to do this. This is what I should pursue. Mm -hmm. And yet I'm struggling. I'm really struggling financially. And also just really starting to realize how like selling music was selling physical music product CDs, whatever, trying to sell downloads was really challenging, like a really challenging way to make money is to actually sell the music. Right. And so I was like brainstorming and thinking about all these ways that like, you know, I thought about this idea of like, oh, what I'm going to do is collaborate with all these artists and just start selling art. And the music is kind of a byproduct. And I'm working with all these really amazing artists who are going to make art inspired by the music. Hmm. And then we'll sell that because people like to buy art. People go to people go to IKEA and buy like a shitty yeah. Starry Night for like forty bucks. <laughs> yeah, we think we have one of our bedrooms. Yeah, you got a Starry Night? <laughs> <laughs> no, we we like when we were shopping for stuff for this apartment, we went to IKEA oh, and we're like, we should get this art. Yeah, it's like exactly. A, it's a Picasso, and it's cool. Like it's good. Yeah. It's people. It's cool to have good art on your walls. Yeah, and music posters. I mean, yeah. So. Um, so I was like, that's what I got to do. I got to sell art. And I was kind of for a minute, you know, thinking about all this stuff. Ended up moving to Austin. And I was, that was a big decision because I was, I loved my life in New York. All my friends were there, all my music community, sort of my built in fan base, mm-hmm. lots of stuff was in New York. And I was like, man, I don't know if this is a smart move. And then I thought, okay, I'm going to move to Austin. It represented the unknown. I imagined like, literally jumping into the pitch black but you had you had some like thoughts festering in the back of your head like i don't know like some the reason unsuredness about music and and, yeah i was like wondering about it but then i was like okay i'm gonna move to austin it's a smaller market maybe i'll like try and like really work my ass off and get really well known in austin okay and like then try and like build smaller community maybe you can get into it and, yeah. and with some more people there. That was kind of what I used to justify tough. the move. Like, yeah. uh, like I w- wouldn't have moved to, you know, somewhere in South Dakota with no music scene. I mean, Austin's a music town. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go there. I'm going to work my ass off and I'm really going to try to build up the Austin in Austin. Mm-hmm. I got to Austin, never happened. And in fact, when I moved there, the reason it didn't happen was I moved there. I went, and cr- I got crazy depressed. First time I had a major depression in my life and literally just like I was at like my absolute lowest of the low and everything, all things, music, goals, everything went totally out the window. What do you think caused, caused that just the move itself or like, what was the kind of the catalyst? Did you feel like moving out of New York city, you were kind of moving backwards? I think it was a lot to do with music because for so long, I had my identity wrapped up and all my chips on be a famous artist. Okay. Be this musician guy. And over time, more and more stress and emotional distress 
built up towards that because of that disconnect. Like, wow, like I'm really struggling. There are a lot of times I'm not that happy. I'm fucking, and, but I'm supposed to be, but people are telling me I'm good at this and I'm really trying hard at this, yeah. but then people don't value it. And it fucks with your, like it fucks with your sense of, here. yeah. And I think that there's like, it's a, it's a thing that a lot of artists and anybody who's really driven, mm-hmm. you tie your self-worth to that goal. You mm-hmm. tie your self-worth to that identity. And when you're not making money or you're, you have a bad show, that doesn't just mean you had a bad show. It means like you're, you know, yourself, your personhood isn't good. It's worthless. It's worthless. Everything is worthless. And yeah, I, and I think that's such a hard feeling and it's a hard, it's a hard feeling to describe and also like admit to yourself because I've been, I've absolutely been through that. And, and it happened after Berkeley, like being around all these people, you're like, Oh my God, like either I'm going to have to work really hard or I'm going to have to quit this. Or if I go to New York and if this doesn't happen to me, I put so much effort and time into this. And if this doesn't happen for me, I, I'm a fail. I'm a complete and complete total failure. failure. And it's like, I don't, I don't know. That's, it's a hard, it's a hard pill to swallow. That's but, another thing where it's so where fear plays such a role. Like I'm going to be a failure. Like good fucking fail yeah. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. great to fail yeah it's great to hit those points and like be like all right let me fucking shape but up. did you feel that way then though? no so exactly. when you ask like why do i think that happened so i think i had this sort of like tension building mm-hmm. with this and breaking from new york breaking from all the people i know moving to a place where i didn't know anyone and you know that was the ripping the bandaid off of this yeah. connection this this crazy driven my whole identity my whole self-worth is tied up in the identity of being a musician mm-hmm. and that disconnect from that dream was really i didn't know what to do i was completely lost i was completely depressed i wanted to die i thought about killing myself all the time started started going to therapy a ton mm-hmm. it was like the first time i really engaged in going to therapy a lot never wow. really did that before it became an instrumental like amazing part of my life and started me on this new path that ended up opening me up to so many things you know and i think anything can i, I think now so much can be true everything can be true it could be i could have very easily continued to go as deep as I could have in music and it could have worked out really well for me mm-hmm. or it could have been really valuable in so many ways. And I think people who do, people who are eventually successful in music or who people who are successful in music, that's what you see a lot. They yeah. are involved in music in so many aspects of their life. They've gone so deep with it. And instead I went more this generalist route where I love playing I love playing shows. If people ask me to play, I want to go do it. Yeah. But I'm not like hustling the book. And the same thing, like I'll go do a photo shoot. I'll produce a video. Now I have this, like, I'm not amazing at any one of these. Maybe, maybe at some point I'll feel pulled to like really work hard at one of the things. But now I just get this, like, you know, I have more of a creative life, but I think I got, I, I, it was that severance from the dream kind of like maybe admitting that, maybe giving up on the dream, divorcing the dream 
feeling like I had failed, that was what moving to Austin represented to me. Even though at the time I wouldn't have put it that way. Mm-hmm. At the time, I didn't know what was happening to me. Yeah. It was only like a year later that I was like, oh, wow, I got really depressed. Yeah. Oh, wow, this is probably what happened. You know, because yeah. you, you thought the music was the only option. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, almost like taking other things and going other avenues felt, felt like even more of a failure, or, which it wasn't because we're not defined by, you know, you we're defined by what makes us happy. If you're going, if you're going to do something and you create a, another, um, creative lifestyle for yourself, that's, that's a win. That's yeah. a win-win right there. I, um, yeah, I mean, do you think that some of your skills that you have acquired throughout your job in in Austin and doing the videos and, and the marketing and all that stuff, um, do you think that that could help you in the future if you if you get deeper into music again? Or yeah, you know, well, I think a couple of things. So I think um, one you or even if, even if you would do that, yeah. Well, I think one thing you had asked before before while my mind's still on it is you said, are these things hobbies? Mm. I think, I think it just not focusing so much on music opened me up to like, um, sort of like pursuing some things that I could see or that I could envision. Like I could, you know, I had never produced videos before, but I ended up kind of in this job through a writing. I got into the job through creative writing. It was all, I was like writing 20% off emails first, but I could imagine what a cool video would look like. And I just simply had the freedom to then actually try it. Mm -hmm. And so I guess it was a hobby. It was like, I had more artistic, I had a broader artistic palette then where I, that I could sort of, and that I could sort of pursue. And so they, I wouldn't, I don't know if I would call them hobbies. Photography has always been a hobby, but um, it was just more like I could see it. I could think about it in a certain way. So I was like, it'd be cool if we made that. It'd be mm. cool if we'd made this website. Let's see if we can convince somebody to let us do it. Then we go and do it, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that it has absolutely, like I mentioned before, things are starting to simmer again musically. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that the act of making videos, those skills that come along with that are informing what will happen with me next musically. But I think just having the space having the freedom to say, you know, I don't have to, you know, back then when, you know, you're like, if only I could get a song and fucking Grey's Anatomy or like, you know, goals that now seem like preposterous to me. Sure. It'd be great. It's not the fucking end all be all getting a Grey's Anatomy. I mean, it's great, but yeah. There are so many, you know, it's like, oh, if I could just have a fucking song in a movie that was like, it was like any, you know, what, what's the Hail Mary that's yeah. going to get me out of the it's misery. Funny, those those are a lot of thoughts that I have these days. <laughs> <laughs> that's where I'm living. Yeah. Uh, it's like, oh, that's not, that's not a good goal. <laughs> so I think, <laughs> that's a great goal. It's a great goal, Jesse. Nah, you know? it's funny. No, but I mean, and still that would be really fun, but it's given me the space to not care about that stuff as much. And it's given me, you know, and also working on those things, I've been able to make a better living doing these other things than I was able to pull off doing music. I couldn't make money. I wasn't good at making money doing music. Maybe, maybe I will be at some point in the future, but I wasn't. Now that I'm doing things that I can save money, it also gives me the freedom to pursue making a record. I haven't Mm -hmm. made a record. The only record I ever put out 
It was in 2005 when I was in college. Yeah, I heard that. Rec- I, and and the, the thing is, so why is that? Why is that? Exactly. The, the One of the reasons is I, as an artist, I'm not good at putting the parameters on. I like to fucking dream and try every combination of things, which, mm-hmm. you know, it's not realistic. It's not a great way to be creatively. I think that's one thing that has helped me out in the video world is saying like, here's some creative parameters. Here's a budget parameter. Yeah. But when it came to music, it was so important to me that I wanted to get it right. I wanted to have the fucking awesome, this fucking great album. The albums mm-hmm. that like, when, you know, when it comes out and you're like, oh my God, have you heard the new record by so-and-so? Like, yeah. I feel like that doesn't happen as frequently as it did when I was younger. No. Maybe it's because I'm getting older. But no, I, I just don't think that's the way the records are made anymore. Yeah. You know, they're not made as one cohesive piece piece of work. They're made, you know, you, you got your couple singles here and then you got your filler and, yeah. you know, there's no make yourselves anymore and, and, and stuff like that. And what but, it does is so impressive. Like I was thinking, you know, um, uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the record. Uh, Hopelessness? Helplessness Blues? It's the Helplessness Blues, right? Fleet Foxes. Uh, it's like a 2012 or 2013 record. Amazing piece of art. Yeah. When Bon Iver was like dropping a record. It, right, like, right. Stuff where it was like, wow, the the first Vampire Weekend record. Yeah. yeah the most recent Vampire Weekend. The most record. recent one it, is incredible, too. It's like beautiful pieces. So, so it's that happening. Was, that it's was happening. my aspiration. Like, oh, I, that, I have to have this fucking amazing album. And mm-hmm. to me, that represented endless budget. And... I think there's a middle ground, you know, like now I have, I'm saving towards, I have more financial freedom that I can explore more. Right. I don't have a career in music that I'm banking on that I need to get a record out in a period of time. So now I have a little bit more room to explore and do those things because, um, you know, I, I just do the singer songwriter thing. I'm like guitar and singer dude, but in my head, I want it to be a lot more. I want it to be produced. I want it to be orchestrated. I want it to have these great arrangements. And when you don't have a band, that's like all that additional money and also not having the experience of arranging a lot. Right. Right. And so these things kind of work to get work against each other. Like I'm a perfectionist. I'm broke. I want to try all these different things. So then you end up not trying. You end up not getting the experience you oh, need yeah. to make it happen. Yeah. Um, it's me all the time. Well, uh, one thing, like I, for example, I was, I got really into photography for, for a little bit and I got, I got a camera, you know, I, I went out, I took pictures and then I go, you know, I look at your photos, Sasha, Justin Muir. I'm like, no point in me doing this. <laughs> like if I can't, if I can't offer something different or new than, than, than people I know and je- like, then there's no point in me doing it. So that is my, like my limitation. I won't go out and try things because I know I won't be as good right off the bat. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? I totally feel that. It's crazy. But you know what's it's interesting? Like, it's a crazy way to think. <laughs> it is. It is a crazy way to think because... Yeah, I think a lot about like how audiences receive things, you mm-hmm. know, and like you can't, it's like anybody who says like, I don't understand why people like my voice or I don't have a good voice, but then people enjoy it or like you can't control how people are going to receive things. And how so, do you feel about your voice? My voice? You have an incredible voice. But everyone like, likes my voice. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a fine voice. I think it's a good voice, but I don't, I also, when I listen to it, I'm like, 
well, how I thought about it in the past. And it's hard to, it's hard to break the habit of these thoughts, you know, like the first thing that comes to mind, my story around my voice is, it's a good voice, but it's not a famous enough voice. It's not a good enough voice. No, but it's, it's, you know, it's unique enough. If, if you, the thing is, if, if, anybody you know we're you're here so we're gonna talk about you yeah yeah (laughs) Um, you know if you keep if you compare yourself to all these other you're gonna you're just gonna drive yourself crazy exactly that's the whole thing with this photography the whole point yeah it's like you're saying the exact same and and but we get there and i was just you know i think that's another just i don't know if it's just some you know I'm totally vibing, you know, like with the vibes of the universe, push me wherever, you know, it's cool. Like I was just spend their whole lives trying to, to get to that thinking, you know, you've come a long way. Well, I don't know. I think there are so many drawbacks to that way of thinking too. Like, I wonder, do you have to be, do you have to be in that other mindset to be so driven? I don't know. That's what I think. Everything is possible. What, when you say that, it made me feel like a month or two ago. I was in a bar in Austin Mm -hmm. and I was watching a band, fine band, five people up on stage making music. It was beautiful. I really enjoyed it. Put a smile on my face. Yeah, it's great. Six years ago, I would have looked at them and be like, I'm fucking like, yeah, "Eh, whatever. They're not going anywhere. Like, okay, good. I can like be off guard now. Like the total fucking asshole way to think, you know? Hey, I I feel like, well, I've, I've, been there i do it all of the course. time i i don't do i it takes a long time to get past that and get out of your own way get your ego out of your way because the, the ego is it I, you have to have it for the confidence to be up there on stage and to play and to do your thing but it also you need to understand that there is more ways to skin a yeah, cat than you sto- ever know totally <laughs> you know? and it stops you from like enjoying like I legitimately enjoyed and found beauty in that. Whereas before I would have been more closed to it. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think we just get that. Like you're saying with the photography, like I bet, you know, anything that we make is a cool, the, just the act of making shit. I mean, that's beautiful. You know, it's fucking, yeah. it's, it's cool and people can find beauty in it and it can impact you people in ways that you didn't anticipate that you didn't think was possible, possible. And, uh, so yeah, I just think it's all, you know, make, 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 you know, yeah. just do. Yeah. Cause you, you know, you always have the work and, and that's like something to be proud of. Mm. Do you ever, uh, do, how often do you get back to Maryland? Get back home. Um, when I was living in Austin more of the time, uh, I would be there probably like four times a year, mm-hmm. maybe like once a quarter. It's a lot. Yeah. See, I've got, I got little nieces, so yeah. It's kind of always exciting to get home and see them. Your sister's kids? Yes. Yeah. My middle sister has four kids and uh, super cute. Yeah. And yeah, so always get home for like a Christmas or a Thanksgiving. Usually some reason. Like sometimes I have a show or a gig or a video project. Something that would bring me to the East Coast. It's mm-hmm. a good way to good time. Now, I'll probably be home a little bit more. You're fairly close yeah. now. You can yeah. always, always drive down and, and hang out. Do you enjoy going home? Is that is that fun or is that stressful for you? It's mostly stressful. stressful yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah could, that can be stressful for everybody. You know, it's like you have these. You have these. You know, yeah. I have highs with my family, and then I have lows with them. So it's. I see other family 
units that have sort of like more of a consistent vibe and for me it's like i hope for those like good times Mm -hmm. and then a lot of times it's like you know it's it's work it's work yeah yeah i i feel like that's a little bit of everybody everyone has their own like this is what i wish my family was really like and then you see these like perfect you know hallmark american families and you're like oh man how is that even possible my shit's different than that yeah Yeah. (laughs) it's way different than that um but no it's awesome to each each their own i say yeah um what else adam anything else yeah well i feel like i feel like we hit a lot of stuff we did were we all over the place we kind of we kind of bounced around well we started like it we kind of started current and then we worked our way back but um i'm excited to be back in new york i think just the energy of that city makes me feel excited to play more. Mm-hmm. It, it It's a being around more musicians that I know that I love being around people who are recording engineers or producers where I didn't really have those relationships. Well, in yeah, Austin. you have way more relationships now. Like e- even still like, if if you want to get a band together and you're Ooh. having a hard time, like you know a drummer. If, if there's any if there's any way, I mean, you're just you're so talented, and you know, I'm not saying it just to blow smoke or anything, but um, you know, any way that I can help. Yeah, totally, dude. I mean, you know, I love it. I was your playing's great, and I, you know, I really love seeing. Cause I feel like you had a point where you were, you were, you had a crossroads of, in music. I remember seeing when I saw I you last in Austin, yes. you, you had said, Hey, I had this crossroads moment and because, you decided to push through. Dude. Yeah. When you saw me in Austin, that was, that was the first tour that I had been on with Steven. And I think I've told the story on, on the, the podcast before, but it was, it was right I, I was like working full time at a bar in in Boston every like Wednesday, th- Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. And then I would get up and I would do Sunday brunch. And this w- was every week for like five years. And I was with my old band, Love in Stockholm, until 2014. And between 2014 and like 2016, I wasn't doing anything music related and i was i got to this point where i was like i don't know what i'm doing with my life i don't know what's going on i'm so depressed and you know dan um dan had taken the job at wistia and he wasn't playing a lot so i i I just felt like this you know i i started feeling i was i like i was relying on too many other people for my happiness and i was like I need to go, I need to figure something out. And then I, I did a show with Dan opening for Stephen Kellogg. And then Stephen kind of, you know, saw that I wasn't doing a whole lot. And, you know, he saw the talent and that I could sing and play. And, and then he sent me an email and kind of the rest is history. But like, I just didn't know what to do. Yeah. And that's the thing. Sometimes the hardest thing is is just starting is just taking that first step and i was having such a hard time because i like i was getting more financially stable by working all the time yeah but i was fucking miserable yeah you know i was completely miserable so it's hard it's really hard but that was the crossroads i almost sold 
all of my stuff. I remember you told me you're like, I was like staring at my drum kit, being like, "Fuck, I'm gonna sell this thing." Yeah, and I was, I was getting like, ready to like take pictures of it, put it on Craigslist. <laughs> this bitch is mint. Yeah, come pick it up. Yeah, come on. Um, it's got like seven toms. <laughs> but yeah, it, it was just that moment where I almost sold everything and went back to school and tried to, you know, I probably would have been in in sports management or something like that. Try like been a coach or, yeah. or, or how'd whatever. You be, how'd you deal? How would you be a good coach? I think so. Yeah. I think, oh, I'd, yeah, there you I go. think I'd be a pretty good coach. There you I go. mean, I was always, what I was be your always sport? Good. Any sport just coach Jesse. Uh, probably baseball. Baseball would be, baseball would be, is your guy. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. No, what I was going to say, I love seeing that you pushed through this moment, this mm-hmm. crossroads and it's become such a major part of your life. And yeah, I, I, I love that. I so, even yeah. tried coaching in one of those summers. I coach, <laughs> I coached at a private high school and, uh, I, I uh, I was the assistant JV coach at you this play high baseball? school. Uh, yeah, I played what, what for was many your spot? years. First base. First base? Yeah. Are you lefty? I could hit. No, I was I was a righty, but I could hit really. I, I was I dropped bombs. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, but, but you can coach me or play drums with me or collaborate with me musically anytime. All you right. got it. All right. I mean, <laughs> yeah, but it was, uh, that was tough. And, you know, I just right at the right time you meet the right person people um you meet you know the right person and then that along with just i I found work ethic out of thin air i didn't have it before i just expected everything to come easy and then for and then out of nowhere i was like fuck i and then i just started working you know i got a it just was like all of a sudden i got a swift kick in the ass yeah and then and then it just happened what was that kick in the ass a long email from Stephen Kellogg. That, oh, that's what you're doing? Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> because I played a gig and it sucked. I wasn't like super prepared. Although, in my defense, I had to learn a lot of songs in a very short period of time. And I had never done that before. Well, it worked so, out. It worked out for the best. It worked out. It worked out. I still struggle with, you know, laziness sometimes, but not nearly to the... I wish I could just get a peep into that, that Jesse's life. Oh, dude, it's sitting on next to the TV right there. It's a fucking Xbox and, you know. Oh, yeah. I just Really slumming it. Really just. Awesome. It's awesome. But, you know, every now and then I find myself in that mode again. I have to snap myself out of it. It's good. You need need to take a breather sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like we we got to. You feel like we're good. I'm good. Yeah, this is is over an hour. And it's getting hot in here. Let's get out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Tears, fears, nobody knows about nightmares, needles, and nights and names. Well, Natalie tries to kill the hurt, sick, and trucks and love like Novocaine. But it's not number home, jump around downtown in the rain. He watches as his imaginary friends Drink themselves insane He's all alone again Can I get your number? Can I give you a call? Or can I see you at all? Well, half skip a jump and a kick and he feels just like he's five again. Yeah.
times, two times And if they're welcome round again So fun to hum jump around downtown again He watches as his love smiles He's swept away again Another year gone down the tree 